0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions
2: apply welcome to the underground the steel city underground a Pittsburgh Steelers podcast made by fans like you for fans like you now here's your host Joe Kuzma Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Steel City Underground podcast. I am your host Joe Kuzma and folks I have got a big show planned for you today. Very excited for this myself about to sit down with two of the heads of two of the largest Pittsburgh Steelers websites on the internet as we talk about the preseason and training camp developments. What the 2016 Pittsburgh Steelers season may look like, some additional predictions. But before I get to that, if you want to know about some of these players that we're going to be discussing on our roundtable discussion today, I encourage you to go over and download the free ebook, The 2016 Preseason Welcome Guide by Steel City Underground, actually written by me, carefully handcrafted to detail. All of the new Pittsburgh Steelers joining the team in 2016, that includes free agents such as Ladarius Green and draft picks such as our first round selection cornerback, Artie Burns. Folks, this is a free download. You could get it by signing up at steelcityunderground.com slash preseason, and it is yours. Of course, keep the calls rolling in, folks. Got some very good questions that are coming in. Got some redundant ones on the hotline at 203 scu When I get like a really, really good one or we have some additional time that we could spare here in the show, I promise to feature a few of your phone calls here and answer them as well. But... Getting to the topic at hand, the roundtable discussion, I would like to welcome my guests at this time. Welcoming back the editor of Behind the Steel Curtain, Jeff Hartman, and welcoming for the first time the editor of Steelers Wire, Neil Coulong. Gentlemen, how are you doing this morning? Doing very well. How are you? Oh, you know what? I can't complain, actually. (laughs) So... Um, It's great to have both of you guys on, and what we're going to do today is we have a set of questions where we're going to do a roundtable. Very uh, very appreciative of having both of you guys not only come on the show, but on the show at the same time and do this with me. What we're going to do here is um, I'm going to pitch you guys a question. Feel free to answer it. Try not to step over everyone's toes. This isn't exactly a presidential debate. I'll try and add my two cents in here and there. As you know, sometimes I go on some long rants. Just feel free to shut me up at any time. The uh, first question, gentlemen, the Pittsburgh Steelers are talking about getting rid of their outside linebacker rotation. Do you think this is a good or bad idea?
3: I'll go first. I think that this is a really bad idea. I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers last year – When you have James Harrison, who showed that he is still effective. The fact they're talking about turning to Jarvis Jones as a primary outside linebacker, I don't care if if James Harrison is 60 years old. He's better than Jarvis Jones. And Jarvis Jones said he had to prove himself as a pass rusher. I, I don't get the sentiment and the narrative that's always going around, whereas, well, he doesn't get a chance to rush the passer as much. You know, it's always James Harrison when he's in it. Well, there's a reason why. Um, if, if Jarvis Jones was this world beater at uh, rushing the passer, then they would have him rushing the passer more. But instead he sets the edge and he, he drops back in coverage. I just don't understand why the Steelers would do this. On the left side, I get it. You want to free out there as much as possible. But on the right side, totally disagree. think it's a bad move.
4: I can see the logic of, of why they would want to do that. I mean, this really is a, a make or break year for Jones. They've put the investment in him. Uh, it, there's a point that they're going to have to say, look, you're you're going to have to dive in the pool and figure out how to swim. There's no reason now at this point in Jones's career he should be behind Harrison, and the fact that Harrison still continues to uh, outproduce him is certainly a problem as far as the the structure of the outside linebacker position goes, but Jones should have enough by now to say that he could play 80% of the snaps without much of a problem. Uh, Harrison's already hurt in camp. He tweaked an ankle the other day. Um, what what 's his longevity going to be? How can you prepare to have a, a thirty eight or thirty nine however old Harrison is right now How can you prepare to have him uh, playing fifty percent of the snaps when you 've got a young hopefully entering his prime Jones uh, sitting there i I think the plan really should be to have Jones enter the season as the the bona fide starter if you will, and from there, if he isn 't earning it, you have Harrison uh, waiting in the wings but if anything i think the the statement that they're making they don't want to rotate them is more uh it, forcing jones to to grab the position and hang on to it if harrison is going to get on the field harrison will earn it um as the season goes on but i, I think it should be jones's position to lose um and and grant you know they certainly have a backup uh waiting if jones can't make that happen i, I think that's the real approach here it's not saying that they have 100% faith in jo- in jones it's more let, let's let see what he can do if he's given that full-time job and if he doesn't get it done they'll go back to rotating him
2: yeah you know what i i think the rotation isn't necessarily a bad thing i wrote that article over on behind the steel curtain about lamar woodley and how he had said on serious xm nfl radio that his sack numbers weren't up because they were only using him on rushing downs And, you know, that's where some of Jarvis Jones' strengths are, is being a run stopper. So the other side of this is if you use Jarvis Jones only on rushing downs, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't mean he can't get to the quarterback or he can't improve here in the near future. It's not saying that he's a failure. On the other hand, as you guys had said, James Harrison is – let's face it, you know, this this is probably his last year in the NFL – and you gotta kind of you gotta save this guy you gotta try and uh, as much as he probably wants to be out there on the field physically Father time catches up with you whether he can play every single down that's very debatable i I think the rotation's probably better and of course we're talking we're talking here Jarvis Jones and James Harrison, but on the other side of things too, you still have a young Bud Dupree and you have arthur moats so very interesting side note here is that. I read somewhere that the Pittsburgh Steelers coaching staff had requested that all of their linebackers weigh in at 250 or less. So what was it like Bud Dupree's down however many pounds and uh, Jarvis Jones actually in shape too, from what I read, is that correct guys?
4: Yeah. From what I've seen um, that the, the weigh-ins went very well, as far as uh, the outside linebackers cutting weight. And I personally think it, it's amazing uh, to learn that Dupree dropped 20 pounds um in in one off season I mean, even as young as he is to do that and still be you know as, as physically fit as it seems like he is and he's certainly drawing rave reviews uh at camp so far I, i'm i'm really impressed by that i i think we're about to see uh you know the, the full extent of dupree's athleticism which really is is a guy that should be in rio right now at, as opposed to training camp i mean he's he's an amazing athlete an amazing physical specimen uh, his issue has really been, you know, he, he doesn't really know how to play the game all that well. But you're talking a guy that um, really was a physical freak. He, he, you know, athletically, uh, I think he had an advantage over most guys he went up against last year at 275 pounds. If he's doing it at 255 now, you're talking some major speed off the edge uh, to the point where it's like, all right, well, we'll work on the hand fighting. We'll work on the technique stuff. Uh, just go get the quarterback. There, There really shouldn't be anybody that could stop him. Um, you know, with a standing head start uh, off the line of scrimmage, if he's at 255 and he's, you know, insanely fast at 275, um, you're you're talking about a, a significant amount of speed, and with that, an advantage off the edge for them. And if if the other outside linebackers uh, are able to play much faster than they have been in the past because they cut weight, I, you know, definitely it's going to work. Uh, you lose a bit of that brawn, but this is a speed game. We're having to see um, outside linebackers in particular get more and more athletic every single year. I I think the Steelers drafted Dupree because he was that freak athlete and having him cut weight the way that he has is going to make him even faster and that's going to make him a more productive player.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I can't disagree with anything that you said there and even adding my own Personal experience, mind you, not anything as far as a professional or collegiate athlete, but just as a, an official and officiating, and having to take fitness tests. When I am weighing in at even five pounds less, my times are uh, improving, and I'm obviously faster. And even at an older age, I'm not I'm not able to maybe increase that capacity. Or, you know, get a cardio level any higher than what my best was. I'm getting older. I don't recover as fast. But we're talking about a gentleman in his early 20s who just dropped 20 pounds. That is going to be just ridiculous uh, when we see him out there on the field. So, speaking of young gentlemen, I uh, wanted to ask you guys what you thought. And I'm, I'm going to lead off with this one. The. It appears the Steelers went into the draft to repair their defense, and unlike any year, this is going to be maybe an unprecedented year where a lot of rookies see a significant amount of playing time. So I wanted to ask of the first three-round draft picks, of course, since the fourth-round pick was an offensive lineman. We have Artie Burns at cornerback, Sean Davis at safety, and Javon Hargrave as a defensive tackle. Who do we think gets on the field first? Who gets on the field the most? And who's starting by the end of the season? And I think, I think I'm think i personally going to pick Javon Hargrave. I think I still just have like a, a whole man crush on the small college underdog deal. But I really, really just – I can't get the picture out of my head from the San Diego game last year where Cam Hayward and Stefan Tuitt looked like they were about to shrivel like grapes. They were sp- – They were sweating so much, it looked like they had nothing else left to give. And I think those guys need to – we're just speaking about a linebacker rotation. I do think that they need to come off the field here or there. Uh, The Steelers are on uh, record. Coach Mitchell's on record is saying – that Hargrave is a three-down player and he can play anywhere along the line, so he may not be just a traditional nose tackle. He would be competing with time with maybe Dan McCullers, but Dan McCullers is still an unproven talent as well, so I think his path, as opposed to maybe Burns or Davis, may be more clear towards a starting role. What do you guys think?
3: I mean, from From my standpoint, I'd agree with you. I would say Hargrave now I think the second on that list would probably be Sean Davis. And we kind of have a little cheat sheet based on training camp so far and what we've seen. Hargrave has produced some really rave reviews from those that are there watching live. Um, His hands, his his first, his initial step is really, really good. Uh, And you haven't heard much from Dan McCullers. So I think that the Steelers are going to probably deploy Hargrave early and often if he keeps up his current pace. But, when we saw uh, Sanquez Golson go down with a foot injury yesterday at training camp, I, I was fully expecting to see Artie Burns, even Doran Grant step in. They put Sean Davis in, as, in the slot, and that, that's kind of reminiscent of what they did last year when they put Robert Golden on the field. It had three safeties uh, on the field at once. Um, I think if you're going to order them, I would definitely say Hargrave first. I think uh, Davis second, and then I would go with Artie Burns last. Or Burns, they're just saying, is very raw. They have him returning some kicks at times. Um, I don't know if he sees the field much at all this year.
4: You know, the interesting thing, it it really comes down to positional need. And I I think with that, um, not factoring in Golson's injury. I mean, you have to kind of consider Golson to be a rookie just like Burns is as well. I mean, he hasn't been on the field. Uh, He hasn't really played. So all three of those positions have something of a need, especially within sub packages. So I think all of them. Uh, have an opportunity to compete but it's really going to come down to situations i mean it you know we saw it last year you you brought up the san diego game before um personally i wouldn't have wanted to take hayward or or to it off the field uh during that game they absolutely slaughtered that offensive line tired as they might be um they're they're you know uh, primary weapons within that defense it's tough to take them off the field um, does Hargrave get a couple snaps uh, because of that, just for the sake of, of maybe resting him on early downs? If he can earn that, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they would like to do that. Um, I, I can see more of a, a favorable advantage for Davis because of that, more so than Hargrave, just because, um, as Jeff mentioned, the three-safety look, which incidentally was something the Steelers wanted to do with Golden when when he was a, an undrafted rookie back in, in uh, 2011 or 2012, whichever year that was. Um, going with that that big nickel look, getting a third safety on the field, I think that speaks more to um, situations, games in which uh, Davis would get on the field more than any of them will. But come the end of the year, I wouldn't be surprised to see all of their snap counts be uh, roughly similar. I don't think any one of them is going to play, barring injury, of course. I don't think any one of them will play um significantly more than the others and i think all of them will have something of a role on special teams but for me i think it's going to be davis just because uh they're they're always looking to be as versatile as they can be in that secondary they want to use five defensive backs um in the the, you know the the best ways that they can the injury to golson could open a door for for burns to get on the field a bit more than perhaps they had wanted to uh his rookie year but at the same time i don't necessarily think they're going to throw burns out there um you know, on an Island, if he's not ready to handle it. So they, you know, they, they could still sign a veteran cornerback during camp. Uh, they traded for one last year. So who's to say that they wouldn't, uh, you know, explore that option if Golson's injury is significant. So it, for me, I, I think Davis has the best opportunity right now, just due to matchups. Um, you know, golden filled that third safety role last year. They don't have that outside of Davis this year. And I, I think that's something they'll want to employ on a game by game basis. So there could be a couple of games that he plays 30 plus snaps.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, Neil, the 30th ranked pass defense last year, there's no one there that I feel is their job maybe safe. You know, obviously Mike Mitchell and, and William Gay aren't going anywhere, but the rest of those guys, like Ross Cockrell and even Robert Golden, None of those guys are maybe entrenched as a starter. They do have experience and they are veterans, so that may give give them the nod. But as we've seen in the past with players, let's say Ziggy Hood, for example, and Cam Hayward was lying in wait. If a player underperforms, I think we've seen the Steelers pull the trigger a little bit faster in getting some of the younger guys on the field uh, just earlier now, as opposed to before, where they had a lot of patience with a particular player, something's not working. Uh, As you said, I'm a big fan of Sean Davis, and I think he has just as clear of a path now. Of course, injuries are going to change a lot of things. Uh, Setting injuries aside, I wouldn't say necessarily that Ross Cockrell is always going to beat out Artie Burns. He didn't necessarily beat out Antoine Blake last year, and Antoine Blake was just not a quality uh, player in a lot of instances. And of course... Mentioning Dan McCullers before with Javon Hargrave, this is going to be interesting. I do think all three of these young men see a lot of playing time this year. And just to comment on the San Diego Chargers bit there is the San Diego Chargers. Their offensive line was miserable last year, so I couldn't imagine maybe just hypothetically speaking here if Hargrave is capable and he were able to get on the field there, give those guys a blow, That may have even been more beneficial for the Steelers. You know, it's one of those glass-half-empty, glass-half-full things. So, uh, speaking of the new players on this team, who does Ladarius Green replace in the Steelers' offense? Is he a replacement for the retired Heath Miller? Or is he one of these kind of hybrid tight ends that we're going to see out in the slot, and perhaps he sees the targets in production that Martavis Bryant had?
4: I think he's got to get on the field first. Um, <laughs> the, 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 it, it, here's the thing with Green. I, I think the four-year contract that they gave him um, at a pretty reasonable price, I, I, I think they're paying him up front uh, to learn a bit more. I, I, I see a very raw player and incredible athlete. Uh, definitely a, a big asset, but kind of a one-dimensional player. He's not a great in-line blocker. Uh, because of that, you, you're kind of limiting your offense if he's the only tight end in there. You kind of have an idea of what he's going to do um, when he's on the field. And I think the Steelers want to promote you know, a sense of balance uh with their their base package on offense you're going to have a tight end in there but they want to be able to show that they're capable of running the ball and they're willing to run the ball um it's i don't think it's something they're going to want to do uh with green the same way that they did with miller i mean miller you know a quality all around tight end he could do a lot of different things and that gave the steelers the ability in in pre-snap to show defenses Uh, everything that they have on the field and they have to account for a lot of different things that somebody like Miller is doing. Um, I think they have a pretty good sense of what's going to happen if green is on the field in that similar type of role. So um, injury aside, I I think really what they wanted from green was to learn, uh, you know, and, and develop into a better all around player than I think he has been in San Diego Uh, So with that in mind, I I think he is going to be more of a receiver. There there are more things that they can do with him down the field than they could with Miller last year. And I I think a player like that, a guy who's capable of having like a a 15-yard-per-catch average is more Bryant than he is Miller. But uh, the key is what are you going to do with that other tight end position? So then you're you're dipping into – uh, you know, 12 personnel packages. If you get Jesse James on the field as well, maybe he's a little bit further along um, as a blocker than, than Green is. I don't know if that's true or not, but you have two athletic weapons um, at your tight end position. You got to worry about blocking as well. Uh, it seems to me more like they're they're trying to employ uh, more more wide receivers than they are, um, you know, you, your, your standard inline blocking tight end. So I, I, for me, I think it's uh, his highest and best right now, uh, assuming he gets on the field, is going to be as a receiver, you know, deep down the seam, as opposed to the the shorter stuff and and staying home to block like Miller was.
3: Well, I, I think what you're seeing also is kind of the evolution of the Steelers' offense. How many times have we, as fans, witnessed the Steelers get abused by athletic tight ends and say to ourselves? Why don't Why don't we have that on offense? <laughs> I don't know if you've you guys, but I've asked that over and over again. And every time the draft rolls around, um, you know you hear Colbert get on the mic and say, "Well, there's two positions that we're not interested in: tight end and quarterback, because they had Eakin and Ben Roethlisberger, obviously." But I think that, that he, like Neil alluded to, that it's going to bring a whole new wrinkle, a whole new dynamic to this already lethal Steelers offense. But he has to get on the field. He has to prove he's healthy. And the biggest thing, in my opinion, he has to prove that he has a rapport with Ben Roethlisberger. If you've watched Roethlisberger throughout his career, like all three of us have, he has to trust the receiver before he's going to go to them with regularity. That's why he goes to Antonio Brown so much because he knows where he's going to be. The timing is perfect. But if I had to pick one, I'm going to say, I guess, like Neil said, it's going to be more as a receiver than it is anything else. But I think it's just going. To, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not going to be Heath Miller out there. I think fans hope they don't expect that. He's just a different player. He's a, a different breed of athlete, and that's a good thing for the Steelers offense.
4: I would even add to this Jeff if if you look at uh, Miller's salary cap um, position heading into this year I wouldn't be surprised if it really was uh, you know in in Miller's exit interview um, we're strongly weighing releasing you just with the amount of money that they were going to owe him uh, for for what I felt was a a declining level of play for Miller Um, I I think they were planning on going this direction before he retired I think a lot of people are, are suggesting that um, you know, it came as this big surprise. They plan these things out. There's no way that they didn't consider the possibility of, of you know, 33 year old Heath Miller, uh, you know, kind of walking off into the sunset after last season. I don't think Miller was, you know, while he was solid, I don't think he was nearly the player uh, that they would need him to be for for a seven million dollar salary. Not when Jesse James, who who grossly exceeded my expectations for him in his first year, uh, he played pretty well. I think they knew that they had something of an option. I think that they knew. Um, the tight end position really fit with the plan as far as free agency was concerned they they knew there were guys out there that they could sign for a you know a pretty affordable deal uh to move that position into you know kind of the next step of it so it, you put all that together i wouldn't be surprised if they kind of told him we're we're you know looking to to you know maybe move on at the position this you know during this offseason so just to let you know um and miller made the choice on his own to retire and certainly he had a great career but the business moves on. I I don't think that Miller uh, would have been even half the player this year as he was last year. So, you know, I, I, to, to Jeff's point, I definitely think the offense was looking to evolve um, to find somebody that, you know, if he's got a a, a real high end, um, you know, receiving ability the way that green does, that's going to better serve the offense overall than having a a good all around tight end. They can teach him how to do the rest of of what he would need to do as that number one tight end. So I, I think overall, you know, they they put the plan in motion, and that's what they were looking to do from the start.
2: Yeah, and one thought on that, too. I had written an article speculating kind of the same if Heath Miller had been maybe forced out or asked to retire. Maybe it wasn't as public of a deal as with Troy Polamalu, where that was a really, really, really kind of sketchy situation. And I think Heath, at, at, you know, both of those guys are – what do you want to say? It's it's almost like anyone within the Steelers organization really respects the front office and the ownership. You even hear it with Antonio Brown now with all of this contract hoopla and saying how he has too much respect for him to hold out. But I had asked the same questions. Eh, this was probably back when Miller retired. When was it? Back in March in an article on SteelCityUnderground.com if anyone wants to go back and look at that. But speaking of all the tight ends, of course, Jesse James is... And Ladarius Green's absence is running with the first team for the most part here at training camp. And it also means another young man on this roster is seeing quite a bit of action since Green is on the shelf right now. His name is Xavier Grimble, and there's a lot of camp buzz surrounding Xavier. He's bounced around. This is, I think, his fifth team in the NFL in three or four years. What do you guys think about Xavier Grimble? Does he actually have a shot based on all the things we just said about Green and everything we said about the tight end position? Some people might be a little worried about maybe after Heat's retirement and, of course, Matt Spath being released. Is this a problem area for the Steelers? And does Xavier Grimble have a shot at making the 2016 roster?
4: I think what's interesting about the Steelers' tight end position in this, you know, you know new brave non heath miller world that they're in they can do a lot of different things with that third tight end position if they are going to have three of them what you're starting to see more and more each year uh under Todd Haley isn't so much three tight ends but five combined tight ends slash fullback slash h back kinds of players uh Grimble looks to be the the kind of type that can do that 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 motion tight end Um, that really has been a staple of of Haley's offenses in the past when he's had those players available. Uh, You guys might remember David Johnson, who's back on the roster now, but before he got hurt back in, I I think it was 2013, that was really the role they were looking for. Will Johnson's career got started when David Johnson got hurt against the Colts uh, in the preseason that year. Johnson was playing fullback. He was playing on the move. And and now, uh, with Will Johnson moving on to the Giants, you're you're seeing Roosevelt Knicks uh, filling that role Um, it's the same kind of thing. And I I think that position is something that the the real late, uh, you know, fringe roster guys like Grimble, uh, are going to have to come in and own. Basically you're going to be attending, you know, the running backs meetings, as well as the tight ends meetings to get a good idea of what your role is going to be. And those kinds of things give, uh, Haley and and Ben Roethlisberger a lot more versatility, um, in the short flat area of the field, um, as far as what they're seeing in a a pre read or a pre snap look. So if Grimble can come in and show that he can block, he can catch out of the backfield, he's somebody that can do a lot of different things that puts stress on the, the front seven of a defense and, and requires them to make sure, you know, it, it, a little flare pass is being covered. Um, if he can come in and do that, I think that's really what that, you know, kind of quasi tight end, third tight end role is going to be um, is in the past, it, as we've seen plenty of times, they'll put an athletic backup tackle, uh in the third tight end spot for those those jumbo goal line packages. And we have seen Calvin Beacham do that. We've seen Mike Adams do that. Uh maybe that's something for Gerald Hawkins to to develop into uh as he progresses with his NFL career. But you put all that together, it's really a matter of, you know, specialized use. And I, I think Rimble is a guy that can fill that type of a role within this team. And and certainly he's getting a lot of accolades in camp so far and, and it looks to be you know, oddly enough, a very interesting position. You know, a guy like Roosevelt Nix is far from a, a traditional uh, fullback H-back. He was a college defensive lineman. He's a primary special teams guy. But it looks like he's making a few things happen. I, I think uh, Grimble can kind of, you know, be be uh, formed in that same mold.
3: No, I mean, I, I think that Roosevelt Nix is who's surprising me here um, in, in this whole equation. When people ask him, what do you think about the tight end situation? You obviously say Green – and you say uh, Jesse James or Locks, But then, now you're seeing that Roosevelt Knicks is taking more and more snaps at like the tight end position. They're looking to utilize him and his athleticism more. Uh, Grimble is certainly intriguing. Um, and He's been a player that a lot of people have watched in camp. And I know, Neil, this is definitely an Isaac Redman Award finalist. For those that don't know, it's uh, the-, the camp darling, we'll say, for the fan base. And everyone roots for him. And then it turns out they don't do a whole lot in the regular season. But still, um, it, it's going to be an interesting position to watch. I think it's going to be more versatile than people think than they've ever seen under Haley or even in the last decade probably. But, uh, yeah, Grimble is someone to watch. I, 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 Roosevelt next, he, he's going to throw a wrench into things. That's just my thing. I think it's going to be ultimately between um, Johnson and, and, and Grimble as who gets that last tight end position. But that's just my thing.
2: Yeah, and I agree with you too there, Jeff. I've said that many times here on the show and in the various articles I write, as have you guys. That appears to be the camp battle because the Steelers have a lot of other positions where they're very deep, including maybe linebacker. There may be some tough decisions there, as well as the wide receiver group, which the reason we're really talking about uh, gentlemen such as Demarcus Ayers and uh, the undrafted Eli Rogers is – it's always been a thing each and every year where we're talking about whether or not Antonio Brown should continue returning punts. So just my initial thought on that is I always go back and think about Tim Brown, for example, who was just enshrined in a Hall of Fame almost almost one year ago exactly, He did it his entire career. And I think a lot of people are just really scared. And I think some of this fear comes from like LeVeon Bell getting hurt and some of the other entries like Pouncey and that where this team is kind of cursed when it comes to injuries. Big Ben going down. I think they just fear, like we saw what happened with Antonio Brown. He got rocked by vontes Perfect and wasn't able to play against Denver. I think all of us, I don't think there's a Steelers fan or analyst or writer or blogger or podcaster you could talk to anywhere that would tell you that that game wouldn't be different had Antonio Brown played in it. But personally, I'm of the opinion that I don't have a problem with Antonio Brown returning punts. The punt return game isn't exactly the same as kick return game, and you saw back when Antonio Brown signed his original contract back in 2012 that he was removed from kick return duties because before that he was Mr. All-Purpose Yards, again, creating records that didn't even exist in the NFL. Gentlemen, what, do you, what, what are your feelings about Antonio Brown, uh, yay or nay, on returning punts?
3: Nay. I'll say nay. I'll jump in here and say nay. I don't think there's a reason to risk the best wide receiver in the NFL as possible injury. And if you watched him in 2015, I know he had that big return against Indianapolis um, where most people remember the celebration more than the return itself. But um, I just don't feel he, he, he didn't seem like he was into it last year. There were a lot more fair catches when he normally would have returned the ball. Um, yeah, I, I I would say that there's a year that they're going to be able to do this and, and get away with him not returning kicks. It's going to be uh, this year with Eli Rogers or Demarcus theirs
4: For me, it, it's it's as simple as Antonio Brown is probably among, if not the best punt returner in the game. Um, I don't know why you want to take that off the field. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger was injured multiple times last season by playing football. Antonio Brown was injured by Vontez Burfick by playing football that's going to happen. You know, he has just as much chance theoretically, he's getting hurt on a, a punt return, which frankly, he doesn't even do uh, the majority of the time. I and mean, maybe, maybe one out of three, he actually returns. Um, then he would, you know, catching a pass and he gets 190 targets a season. That, that's a pretty big workload, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, granted, you know, the, the Colts have not even shown a, anything of a challenge against the Steelers the last couple of years, but those are big plays um he's on the field to make plays in my mind it doesn't make much of a difference in you know the method in which he's receiving the ball uh the fact is he's the most dangerous open field runner in the nfl and that 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 situation if anything is is bred for him um if antonio brown didn't work as hard as he did he never really developed himself into the receiver that he he has uh, he'd still be the best punt returner in the game, just because he, he's so instinctive. He, he's such a, a a great and creative open field runner. He's extremely hard to take down. Um, it, it, injuries are part of the game. I don't want to risk Antonio Brown any more than that. But by that same logic, you may as well put him in bubble wrap. I mean, it, he's got to play. He's got to be on the field. And it's not as if, as as Jeff alluded to, it's not as if he's returning a ton of them. Uh, In many situations, he's fair catching at at his own 45-yard line. That's field position. Um, He doesn't have to risk a return. He doesn't have to risk a turnover, which has happened to him uh, in the past when he perhaps shouldn't have run when he did. Um, He can do all that and not take contact. So you're talking he he tacks on an additional – you know, 15 uh, tackles throughout the course of a season. Uh, along with that, he's going to break at least one for 20 yards. He's probably going to score a touchdown at some point over the season. I I, I want that. If it's me, I want that. And at, at the same time, if DeMarcus Ayers can do that, then absolutely get him out on the field. I don't think DeMarcus Ayers is going to be the same level of punt return that Antonio Brown is, though. Just call it a hunch.
2: Yeah, I think my hunch leans on the Dree Archer experiment right there. And the Steelers, of course, aren't alone in having, let's say, a top-level player that contributes elsewhere on their team. As a punt returner, Arizona uses Patrick Peterson. Former Steeler himself, Emmanuel Sanders, returns punts in Denver. You have Jarvis Landry, who could be the best player on the Miami Dolphins offense, at least now that they've uh, kind of cleaned house already there. Uh, He's returning punts, too. And then, of course, uh, Tavon Austin, uh, Pac-Man Jones in Cincinnati. And then you have Golden Tate in Detroit. So all of these guys are major contributors to each of their teams. But, of course, you don't see the same level of impact as having a player like Antonio Brown returning punts. Danny Smith himself, there was a quote here that I pulled up. uh, And he was talking about the whole Jacoby Jones experiment And there was a quote here about Antonio Brown coming to him and said, Danny, I don't like it. And he says, my honest comment was, Antonio, I don't like it either, but that's what we're going to do. And that's what we did. It didn't work, and we went back to Antonio Brown. You can never have enough of these kinds of guys. You can never have enough of punt returners. And that's the way I feel about having like a Demarcus Ayers or Eli Rogers making this 53-man roster. We saw what happened when Antonio Brown wasn't available last year to return punts in those games. Marcus Wheaton has come out and said during training camp that he would like to get more involved with that too, and I think he should. He should get some reps there because he did not look good as a punt returner. That actually hurt the Steelers quite a bit in that divisional playoff game as well. And then, of course, the Jacoby Jones experiment was just, just awful. I think everyone was somewhat excited on that, and that was kind of one of those legacy type feelings where this guy was is way past his prime at doing what he what he was at one time good at doing. So as we see, having a solid having solid special teams all around is very important. Kick returns less than punt returns. This day and age, but you got to have somebody reliable back there, as you said, Neil. He's not going to take as much damage as he did. Antonio's also a smart player who will—he'll just run it out of bounds, even just to avoid some contact. He'll get those few extra yards and just scamper, just just go to the left or to right with a real quick move, and still not get hit going out of bounds. Even if he did, it would be a flag, so it'd be beneficial. So players aren't going after him anyways because they're head smart and they're they're not going to draw a penalty like that. So, guys, I had a bonus question, of course, and you already know what this is. As a spoiler, I was going to try and sneak this in here, but nothing goes past your detection. So we're talking off the air just yesterday about football movies. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to bring it up once again, something for fun. Um, What is your favorite football film? Uh, You could pick more than one because I kind of lump everything into one group.
3: Um, I'll go ahead. I'll say that my favorite football movie top to bottom has to be varsity blues. And it's amazing to me, um, as a school teacher that the youth of, of America have not watched this movie. They don't even know what it is. You say, have you ever seen the movie varsity blues before? And they look at you like, you've got something crawling out of your ears. Um, I think James Vanderbeek nails it. Um, Bud Kilmer's coyotes. There's really, (laughs) at least for uh, gentlemen, our age, which I think we're all around the same age, uh, to me, that movie just defines uh, growing up, uh, you know, playing football and stuff like that. I'll go with
4: Varsity Blues. It's depressing to hear that there are people that haven't heard of Varsity Blues. <laughs> it's not that old, is it? <laughs> no, no, it isn't. They just haven't
3: seen it. I swear, I, I, I say to kids all the time, like, hey, have you ever seen the movie Varsity Blues? Like, no. Like, Friday Night Lights is like, I remember the Titans because that's – more of like a movie they could actually watch in school, um, you know, that, that's like as far back as they go. So I, I don't know.
4: You know what, what's interesting to me about that is that Varsity Blues is one of the few uh, recent football movies, if there even are any, uh, that are set in current times. I mean, you have so many that, that are kind of throwbacks to different eras. There are a bunch of documentaries and everything that are made on you know, kind of old school Football and that really kind of seems to be where the market is going. But if you look back at uh, Friday Night Lights for what the movie uh, was in relation to the book, obviously it's not an exact carbon copy. You don't write a book like that and expect it to be, uh, you know, it, you don't expect that to have a movie made exactly what it is. I mean, it really kind of captures more the spirit of the team, whereas the book itself went you know a bit more into local politics and things of that nature. But I, I think Friday Night Lights was the best as far as capturing. Um, quality football which is really really hard to get based on what we've seen from movies in the past uh, on the subject it's it's excellent football that's being played um, it, it's a nod back to kind of a different era uh, to some degree as far as like the equipment and the way the game is played you, you see a bit more realism um, in that regard and it's a captivating story and I think it's it's very well told um, in in movie form. Um, it, a lot of unknown outside of Billy Bob Thornton, but, but quality acting done throughout the movie. And, and I, I really enjoyed it. I varsity blues is a great movie. It's something I'll watch every fall uh, just as, as kind of a rite of passage of the seasons. But it, I, I think Friday night lights top to bottom is the best.
2: I'm very disappointed. You guys did not say draft day. <laughs> well, I never saw draft day. I never well, you know, watched it.
3: You know, it's not as bad as you think. I mean, you hear the, the about Kevin Costner and the Browns and, I did watch it last year. I think it was on TV, and, and it's not as bad as – I mean, if it weren't the Browns, it would probably be a little bit better. But the fact that the in the movie that they're portraying a team that's just god-awful, it's appropriate that
2: it's the Browns.
4: Yeah. I mean, and- you look at it, draft Day top to bottom. My my issue is I already know exactly what's going to happen and I don't I don't need to see the movie to to know it. So I never bothered <laughs> to do it. I'm also somebody who owns several Kevin Costner movies. Um it, it you know for for a guy that gets ripped on as much as he does, I, I'm willing to bet that most, you know, 30 something American males own a lot of Kevin Costner movies. Uh, I mean it's, like, sure. the I mean, dreams you have to have, uh older. Bull Durham you have to have. Those Tim those Cup. are movies that yeah, Tim Cup, another great one. Yeah. Um, he, he's been the, the staple sports movie actor. As much as we hate him, he's in a lot of really good movies, and it, it makes you wonder how much he's really taking away from it. Um, probably a little, you know, at least a little bit. But they're great movies. Like you're not going to watch Tim Cup if it's on. You know, just randomly if you're flipping channels, you happen to see it. Um, that's another movie I'll fire up at, at certain parts of the year because it's a classic. It's a great movie. Um, it, you know, Bull Durham, I think, is, is one of the best baseball movies that we'll see just because it really captures, you know, kind of the, the life of a team as they're going through a season, as, as you know, crazy and stupid as it is. They, they do a good job of all of that. And the, the common denominator, unfortunately, is Kevin Costner. So <laughs> my thing with draft day is I, I, it's, it really has nothing to do with Kevin Costner. It's just the fact that, one, I didn't have the opportunity to watch it. You know, it, at least it never came to my conscious mind to go watch it at any point. Uh, and that's mostly because I already know exactly what's going to happen. I, I don't need to, to read the script or, or see the movie to know exactly how it's going to end. I'll watch it eventually. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> we were, I'll get there. It's only what, three years old now? I have no idea.
2: You know, I could probably find out for you. I was going to pull it up actually because I was thinking uh, 2014. I have it here. Okay, yeah. Um Almost now twenty years old is Jerry McGuire, but that's not gonna show me the money. Is not actually my pick, guys. I got to go with one, and you're you're gonna chuckle. You probably didn't think of this. Little Giants, without a doubt. Oh yeah. If that movie's on, you're you're not gonna. Well, who says turn the dial anymore? Most of the people listening to this, if they're younger, don't even know what a (laughs) dial is on a TV. But you're not gonna flip the channel. Uh, I absolutely love that movie. I love Ed O'Neill. I always liked Married with Children, and he's just—it's just—it's—it's it's the essence of everything. You have the team that's—you know—all the money's pumped into them. You got all the kids with the proper equipment. Then you got this ragtag group of underdogs. So, I, for me, that's where the money is. It, it kind of captured that same essence of something like The Sandlot. I I I love that movie, but gentlemen, we are up against it. Thank you for joining me here on the Steel City Underground podcast. Uh, let's start with Neil since you this is your first time on the show. Neil, go ahead and tell the listeners where they could follow you in any parting words.
4: Um uh, well, thanks for having me. First off, it's been a blast talking to you guys this morning. I'm at Neil Coolong on Twitter, N-E-A-L-C-O-O-L-O-N-G. Um the uh it, I'm responsible for 12 sites within the USA Today Sports Media Group network right now. We're looking to expand even more, and I'm still contributing on Steelers Wire. So uh, give us a look there.
2: Okay, Jeff, it's your turn here. Uh, Thank you for coming back on the show. Why don't you tell all the listeners out there how they can follow you and your work as well?
3: Uh, Yes, uh, at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, which is SB Nation's Pittsburgh Steelers blog, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at BT Steel curtain, as well as on Facebook, Facebook.com backslash behind the steel curtain.
2: And of course, ladies and gentlemen, I am your host, Joe Kuzma. Once again, a big thank you to Jeff Hartman from Behind the Steel Curtain and Neil Kulong from Steelers Wire. And you guys already know how to follow me everywhere I am Facebook and Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. But until next time, be safe, be good, and I will catch you later.
1: details my name is spencer hall my name is jason kirk my name is ryan nanny and when we combine we form the, the shutdown, shutdown forecast i keep telling you we're not voltron the shutdown forecast is technically a college football podcast but it's also a show about lawn care disasters regional grocery stores we love tennessee batman homeowners associations